Welcome to Level Up Academy, the podcast that's dedicated to the higher education community that brings you countless stories of employees, students, and faculty's journey in this remote world we live in. We are expanding our podcast to business leaders and community experts who are sharing their adversity that each one of us experience and share their story to inspire and inform our world. This is your host, Dr. Leland, a serial educator, an opportunities designer, and a compassionate leader. Hello, Level Up listeners. This is Dr. Leland. This is an announcement before our featured guest, Ben Cooper. I'll have an interview with him. He is a lawyer and also a professor at Baylor University. However, before we go there, I wanted to tell you I'm super excited that next week, Wednesday, November 16th, 2022 at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time or 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I am offering a free webinar. It's called Stress and Prevention. I'm sorry, Stress and Burnout Prevention. And I'm going to be joined by Mia Sambarino, who is a mental health specialist for high performing athletes or individuals all right i cannot wait to see you there now you're probably wondering how do i sign up for the workshop i'm going to put it on the description below on this and but if you are curious it is link l-i-n-k-t-r t is in tom r is in romeo period or dot e-e backslash lua by duck leland l-u-a-b-y d-o-c-l-e-y-l-a-n-d and there's the very first link says workshop click on it and you will be there for the form you will get a workbook or i should say worksheet uh during the live session and then after the live session we will also give you a certificate see you there here is ben cooper Hello, Level Up listeners. This is your host, Dr. Leland. Today, I have a special guest. I know I always say that, but Ben Cooper, introduce yourself to my listeners. Hello, and thank you for having me uh, on the podcast. My name's Ben Cooper. I'm from Australia originally. Uh, former lawyer, practice law in Australia and in the UK, and I spent uh, almost 10 years at Baylor University in Texas. And I spent the, the bulk of my time at Baylor running the pre-law program there, helping students and alumni explore the legal profession, but also how to get into law school and uh, you know, kind of parallel careers like those in the national security and intelligence space. And I've founded my own uh, law school admissions and career consulting firm called prelawpro.com. Awesome. Well, welcome to Level Up. So that is actually amazing. But where are you based right now? I'm in Dallas, Dallas, Texas. Uh, we got clients all over the country, uh, but, but based in Dallas. Awesome. Can you summarize to us 20 years of your experience 20 years ago and bring us today? Where is that? Yeah, I mean, I think I pretty evenly split it uh, between practicing law and working in higher education, doing some form of career advising. So the first you know, seven or eight years was in private practice law, uh, practicing litigation, 
So I started out in Australia doing property law and wills and estates, and I, I absolutely hated it. I really did not enjoy what I was doing. And that's not, that's, that's not a knock on that area. It just wasn't for me. And I didn't enjoy it, and I really wanted to do litigation. So I was able to pivot into another role at another firm, and that, uh, that led me to, to getting a lot more litigation experience. But I, for whatever reason, had always aspired to relocate to the UK. That, that, and I can't explain why that was. I just always had that dream. It's like that was where I was going to go. That was where I was going to build a life, much to my parents' dismay. Uh, and I wanted to go as soon as I was eligible to take the admission exams for the UK legal profession. And it was 2009, and that was a, you know, a lot of our younger listeners may not really remember that period in the same way that you and I would, but it was a terrible time financially. But I decided, you know, if I don't go now, you know, life will get on top of me and I'll probably never get a chance to go again. So I went, uh, found a job at a firm in London and again in litigation and worked with some fantastic colleagues and did a lot of uh, fraud work. Most of my clients were banks or um, funds of some kind, uh, dealing with a lot of distressed assets in the wake of the financial, the global financial crisis of 07, 08. Uh, I was at a large law firm. I was commuting a lot. I mean, I, I spent three hours a day commuting. Uh, and so that just got on top of me. And I just got to a point where I was like, I don't know if I want to do this forever. And so in my mind, um, and we may talk about this a little bit, but there's this thing in law and also in other careers like consulting, banking, called the golden handcuffs, where you, you kind of get used to a job where you're making a certain amount of money and you may want to leave, but you also have to take a significant change in lifestyle if you do. And so in my mind, I couldn't leave London because London is the highest paying area in the UK for when it comes to legal work. So I was either going back to Australia and... My, if, if I'd done that, the plan was to join the army as a army lawyer, um, or I could take a break and do something a little different. So I'd always had an interest in theology, and so I applied to some schools in the US and was able to secure a scholarship, which made it make sense. Uh, ended up coming to, the, to Baylor University and working as a residential chaplain. So I, I lived on campus and, and worked as a chaplain with students, which I absolutely loved. Uh, I love what I do now, but that was a really fantastic job because I just loved being part of students' lives. And then as I finished my graduate program, uh, a vacancy come up, came up to oversee the pre-law program, and that was a perfect opportunity to marry the two things that I really enjoyed, which is working with college students and young professionals and my legal experience, and uh, I had a fantastic time there. And then my wife was in Dallas. Her business was in Dallas, so when we got married... Uh, <laughs> we relocated to Dallas and pre-war pro was, was born as a consequence. Wow. That is awesome. I love it. I am curious though, and I'm sure I had a, a mentee that was also wanting to be a lawyer actually, but she just doesn't know. And she was overwhelmed of the different elements of law, right? Cause when you say, Oh, I sure. want to be a lawyer, but there's so many, right? There's so many options of being a lawyer. So why did you gravitate towards litigation and how did you even go from one to litigation? Yeah, so that's a, that's a series of good questions. I think the first thing I would say is you have a lot more flexibility to move around very early in your career. 
because you learn an awful lot in those first two, three years of practice. And so if you make some changes early, it's it's fairly easy to jump around. It's a lot harder later on. Mm. So I was able to make the change at the end of my first year out of law school. So that that was early enough that I could make that change. Um, but I didn't go from a – I started again at the bottom, essentially. And that's what I wanted. I wanted someone to take me under their wing. I had a fantastic supervisor who loved litigation and was an outstanding teacher. And so I, I really enjoyed that. And I was able to do that because it was so early. I gravitated to litigation, I think, for a couple of reasons. Uh, none of my family went to college. And so I was a first-generation student and I enjoyed public speaking. And so I was told from a young age that I should go to law school. <laughs> uh, and and so I had it in my head that that's what I wanted to do. I actually did really enjoy litigation. And I think, weirdly, the thing that I loved about it was also the thing that kind of wore me down. And I I, I loved I loved dispute resolution. And, and I like being able to... Aggressively is not the right word, but I like to be, I, I like the role that a lawyer has in advocating for their client, in standing in for their client and pushing angles and making arguments that maybe their client doesn't know that they can make. And the beauty of it is my colleague on the other side is doing the same thing. And I think what I loved about living, I grew up playing rugby and loving rugby. Oh, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain how. <laughs> okay, I'm like, yeah, now I see it. Okay. One of the things I loved about rugby was you'd go out and you'd play rugby, and then afterwards everyone would go back to the clubhouse on both teams and drink beers together. And one of the things I loved about the law, especially from a litigation perspective, was when you went into court or when you were dealing with a matter on behalf of your client, your job was to be at the top of your game. And then afterwards, you could go and have a beer with the lawyer on the other side. and But there was no love lost. And I, I enjoyed that because there was rules. There was a certain degree of valor um, that, I, that I enjoyed. And I just, I liked helping people in that way. That doesn't mean transactional lawyers don't. That just appealed to my personality and I enjoyed it. You know, the flip side of that is, you know, we've mentioned probably off camera about burnout. Mm-hmm. If you're fighting all the time and in disputes all the time and you're in a zero-sum game where you either win or you lose, yeah. that, can, that can grind you down over time. Um, but I think if I was to go back to law, I'd still gravitate towards litigation. litigation. And oh. that's just because of who I am and my personality. But there are, like you said, there's just so many practice areas and so many options even outside of private practice. Yeah, because I had a couple of lawyer students and I'm like, guys, that's not my specialty. I'm going to have to get you somewhere <laughs> with that conversation. And I wish you were in that. So I knew you then. I know. I was like, <laughs> I wish I was there because I mentor global students all the way to Africa or Pakistan. And I, I belong to a whirlwind uh, mentorship program. So I was like, mm, about lawyer. But I did have a lawyer friend. So I, you know, mm-hmm. kind of introduced them to to that um, process because I don't have that experience, but I know people, all right? (laughs) So that's what I always say. Now, when you were teaching as a faculty, what subjects have you taught that is like, this is an amazing subject that I would love to continue helping my students in? So I I taught a class on the legal profession and it was specifically aimed for incoming freshmen who had indicated an interest in the law. 
And part of what I was helping them do was to understand this is what lawyers actually do. This is what being a lawyer is really like. How does a law firm work? How do lawyers make money? Billable hours. We talk about the path to partnership. We talk about practice areas so they can get exposed. Because they'll think, oh, litigation or courtroom, or what does that mean? So we'll explore all the different practice areas. Not all of them because there's so many it's hard to do it in a semester. And then we talk about the admissions process, um, budgeting for law school, the things they need to be doing to genuinely explore their professional options, not not just law, but what might be some other options that are out there. Uh, I taught a class on law school admissions, and that was for upperclassmen who were actually in the process, and we walked through how the process works, how to game the system in your favour, and, and in turn put together a really strong application. Talk about what it's like to take classes and study in law school, um, how they grade the curve, but also the important financial considerations that people need to think about when they go to law school. Uh, And I also taught a class on academic success. And that was for students who, you know, weren't doing as well as they'd hoped and to be frank, as as they needed to. And so we started to talk about how to develop some of those skills that that they need to, to do well academically so that they can gather that knowledge and develop the skills that they want from college so that when they go out into the workforce, they've, they're in a better position. Hmm. Actually, that's a great statement there because my next question to you was, how has COVID-19 pandemic affected your teaching methodology or or did you already finish how that? You, how long do you have? <laughs> uh, just uh, the, the giveaways and the, you know, the ones that are sticking out in your mind. It was really, it was actually very, very odd. So Baylor actually went back to an in-person setup pretty quickly and a hybrid setup very fast. And it was odd. I expected that my in-person class would be super engaged and, you know, excited to be back. And I had some classes where that, that really was the case. They were excited. They wanted to be back in person as quickly as possible. And you know, that was a great experience for class, for the class and for me. But I also had some classes where, and this was, you know, 2021, where they had gotten so used to the class online, being back in person, felt strange to a lot of them. And I had one class in particular, it was actually a lot more fun to teach it online than it was in person because they were way more engaged online than they would be because we tried both formats. Uh, so I think that the lesson I learned is you really have to figure out like what works for your particular class because one class might really gravitate to the in-person and the others are going to prefer the online. Anecdotally, what I found was the students who were in college when COVID hit wanted in-person more. The freshmen who had been in their senior year of high school during COVID preferred online classes. That's just anecdotal, but that was the experience I had. I see. And I don't think that's a good thing, by the way. I, I think that's I think that's indicative of some social stunting that, that I'm that I'm seeing and certainly hearing from colleagues in recruitment, uh, in HR and just in, in education generally. Yeah, and that's actually 
interesting because I interviewed one of my students who was an on-ground. Most of my students are online. And I actually, one of my mentees was an on-ground here in California, um, Merced University, where she went for a law school. Uh, she wants to go to law school after, you know, the first four years. And she said, you know, it was weird going on-ground because I felt like we didn't have any engagement in the classroom on-ground because we didn't want to talk to each other because it feels weird talking to each other next to each other yeah. and asking questions. Like, I wish I could just text or chat, but now you're like, okay, I don't want to talk to you anymore. It was kind of weird for her. And I, I just I just thought, I'm like, well, what made it weird? You know, like, how would you? And she said it was just a, the whole situation wasn't private anymore where you could just chat to somebody and yes. your teacher can't you can see. You send a private message yeah. to Zoom. Yeah, and in and, 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 and real person, you couldn't, and your teacher sees everything. And she said, also, the teachers or the professors were very closed off. Um, and so it made a difference when she has a teacher that's more, like, humanized. Like, hey, I'm going through the same thing, and kind of share their experiences rather than, like, all right, class, let you know, page 200, this is what we're going to talk about. So they felt like they didn't, they... A, they have to make an effort to go to the class, whereas they could wear pajama online. Um, oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I had that happen all the time. And you have to say to the class generally, like, hey, like, please don't come to class in your pajamas. Yeah, or please um, put on a shirt. Like, I had a student, like, totally take off a shirt. I'm like, please put on a shirt. Like, just go back to wherever the closet is and put on a shirt, you know? Like, just be professional. But I think it was so weird having that conversation. She said the same thing, too. Um, but that is kind of a different topic for sure that we can go in a rabbit hole conversation, right? <laughs> and that's kind of oh, cool. Yeah, that's, that's a rabbit hole for sure. Yeah. What is the most challenging thing for you in the classroom when you were teaching online or on ground? I think in both contexts, it's just getting students to engage. So I, I think we, I think we had a problem with anxiety and social interaction before COVID. I think COVID is that problem on steroids. I think it was, I had a real problem getting people to open up, especially in person. It was a little easier online because I felt like being on a computer screen and not surrounded by other people made things a little bit less awkward for people, but it was very hard to get certain classes to engage when mm. you're in person. And I think it was in large part because they just had not they had not had that experience for a year and a half, maybe longer, depending on where you were in the country. And I think they're just very anxious about it. And it's it's very sad because I think that's what makes education fun is those interactive classes where you are engaging with not only the professor but also with each other in the class. And that's also causing problems. So one of the things... I help students with at Pre-Law Pro, but also while I was in the university setting was networking mm. and coaching on how to actually build a network, find a mentor, so on and so forth, informational interviews, those kind of things. And pre-pandemic, I could say to somebody, okay, here's how you're going to start doing some cold outreach to people in the industry that you're focused on and here's how we would approach an informational interview and here's how I want you to about it and they'd be nervous as anyone is at that age starting it but they would do it and they'd be like you know what that really wasn't that bad i had a great conversation off we go 
post-pandemic. And even, as I said, Texas opened up a little faster than the rest of the country and Ed Baylor certainly went back to a, an in-person setup as quickly as possible. What I found was even in that relatively short space of time, that was just something that was too big for a lot of students. So we had to dial it right back and get back to basics. I had a lot of students who we had to start with baby steps. And so that might be, hey, you're going to go to the grocery store this week. <laughs> yeah. And I want you to engage in five little interactions every day at the grocery store. That you don't have to tell them your life story, you just have to say hello. And so I think that is the thing that struck me. It's not that the students can't do it. I know they absolutely can. That's what that's what, I, what part of what I do is help them get there. But I have noticed that it's getting back to the very, very basics because the awkwardness and the anxiety, I think, has just been made so much worse by those really key years of development not having that in-person interaction that you and I took for granted. Yeah, everyone did, right? Everyone, yeah. yeah. Now, what do you think professors should do to keep students engaged in the classroom? Like, can you give them a tip or two? Like, how did you manage to engage your students in the classroom? Yeah, so I, I definitely understand why professors and faculty have that very clear distinction between student and professor. You have to maintain that level of respect. Uh, otherwise, it can very easily turn into situations where showing up or they're handing stuff in online or they're not taking assessment seriously. I get that. But I think the number one tip is you're a human being and it's okay to show that you are a person who has good days and bad days like anybody else. And, you know, just, I I hate using this word because it's so cliche, but just to be authentic, you know, share with them a little bit about your own experience and do your best to get to know them. And not every class is going to be not every class is going to want to do that, but just try. And I think you'll find that even if most of the class isn't interested in that, you will find that there's a few students who really, really do gravitate. There's this, this classes I can think of, for example, where I'm like, I don't, I don't know if they're getting it. I just don't. I'm not getting any feedback, especially especially immediately after the lockdowns. Yeah. It was kind of like, I don't know. Are you getting this? I'm not getting any feedback. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of the semester... They, you'd have students come over to you and have they, you know, you say some some very nice things about the class, and I was like, I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea, and and that was the I think the hardest part about post COVID classroom interactions was you just didn't get the feedback that you would pre COVID because the the ability to interact I think has been stunted. Yeah, I like that because I think one of the students also was saying like just get to know your students by sharing about yourself because I think sometimes too students see their professors with all their accolades and it kind of distance them like I could never do that especially if you're 18 or 19 or 20 you're, you're like oh there's no way you know and so having your vulnerability be shown to class like yeah i'm going through this pandemic too my kid is at home right now while i'm teaching you right in fact she's yelling right there and giving me sign language like mom i'm hungry you know like because my daughter does that or sometimes i'd be teaching live classes and you hear this led zeppelin and she's like on her air guitar i'm like class and my students are like hey dr leland that's a good i'm like hold on one second let me mute myself i'm like that's done you know i start yelling and they're like I see you were mad. I'm like, no, no, I wasn't mad at all. I was just yelling at my child, like, to stop. And I think 
that authentic self to that they can relate and they start smiling in their face like yeah i could relate my mom yells at me at home too one thing i will add and this kind of didn't occur to me at the time i, I think a big piece of it too and i'd really be interested to see how it plays out over the next 12 months is you couldn't see your students faces mm. so all i could see was from the bridge of their nose up it's very hard to learn someone's face and name if you can't see them and so I, I think in part the online platform was better because I could actually see their faces and they could see mine and I could see their name and then a face and you got to know them whereas in the, in, in the classroom setting if you don't have if you haven't seen them or known them before it's very very hard to get to know a face if you can't actually see them and I think that's that was another difficulty in the immediate aftermath of COVID yeah. once we kind of open up to no masks again I'd be really interested to see how that plays out that's true because of the mask yeah that's true on yeah yeah online i always make jokes and i always actually what i do is the uncomfortable side is i put them in breakout room and i give them exercise like what state do you live in how many pets do you have you know those kind of conversations what what would you like your students to know about you that is relatable to their own experience when you are in a class and you're like I don't know how to show them that I'm relatable. Like what kind of examples or conversations are you having in your classroom? I mean, I think it's great for them to realize that you were in the same shoes. I mean, like I said, no one in my family had gone to college. I didn't understand how to sign up for classes, what classes to sign up for. I didn't know about the bell curve. You know, I was like, oh, we're all going to get the same degree at the end of it. What does it matter? I just didn't have any of that background knowledge and a lot of them are in the same boat. And so I think just understanding that, hey, I'm no different to you at that age. I also think it really helps to be culturally aware of what they're going on. Mm -hmm. Sorry, what they're going through. You know, so I tried really hard to stay on top of some of the cultural trends. So to be able to, to be able to make a reference to something that they are aware of. I think they found humorous to say, oh, like, you know, uh, someone older than me knows some of my terminology or knows some of my trends, and they get a chuckle out of it. And I think, again, just trying to meet them where they are, but also let them know, like, the stuff that you're going through, we have all gone through as well. So even though you might look at us and say, well, this is, how could we possibly have anything in common? If you just get to know, people you'll find that's actually more in common than you might realize that's true so this is kind of like a weird exciting question at the same time you never know who's listening there could be an investor somewhere in the world that's listening right now here's the question if i could remove all barriers and constraints you face like financial people that could help you or anything like that what project would you create and what would inspire you to create this project and what would you want to be known just for this project? No no financial issues, no people issues. Like you could hire anybody with unlimited budget. Oh, I don't, gosh. Unlimited budget. Yeah, no limits to the budget. What would be the project that you would like, I want to do this? I, I think it would be some kind of pre-college program that people go to, almost like community college, but 
but less focused on less focused on classroom work and much more focused on kind of career readiness because I think colleges have not done and there's some great colleges who have done a good job so I'm not this is not meant to be a blanket statement but I think for the most part one of the primary criticisms of higher education from a consumer standpoint is that a lot of students are not ready for the workforce a lot of students do not understand professional etiquette they don't know how to network um, or to interview as well as they might have 10 or 15 years ago and so I think I would love to have some kind of one to two year program where students are taught entrepreneurial skills, how to start a business, whatever that industry will, might be, because even if they don't become an entrepreneur, understanding those challenges and learning how to fail well will help them in their professional life, learning how to network, even if they may not be an extrovert. I mean, I am, I'm an introvert on the Myers-Briggs, but I enjoy networking and it's a learned skill. Any, anyone can learn it. So learning how to do that, networking, finding mentors, uh, I think some basic sales skills. Even if you don't go into sales, learning how to make a pitch, overcome objections, just a lot of those things that we don't teach in high school or college. And then finally, financial education would be mm -hmm. a significant component of that, understanding debt understanding you know return on investment making sure that people are making college a decision based on what's the what's the return here and and giving them honestly an opportunity after high school to really figure out what it is they want to do that's actually awesome that's what actually i'm doing right now with level up academy if you look in my website that is awesome um, but i have a very limited budget so definitely we could partner <laughs> up on that I'm going to teach us. Yeah, right. Academy, just so we know. Please, so let's go. <laughs> and and the reason I said that's because like I said, I've been in corporate world and I've also been on higher education and I've hired people and I've managed people and you're right, I do see huge amount of, you know, loans including myself student loans, but the employability is not there because they're not taught the real world. Like, okay, you have all this theory and then you're like, your boss is like, hey, CJ, this is a project for you to do. And uh, how do you do that? And you're like, wait, is that A, uh, all of the above? C, what, what's my options here, right? Because we've trained them to do tests and tests and tests and tests. We don't train them to think for themselves and how to problem solve with the root cause of the problem, not the symptoms of the problem. And sometimes they get confused. You're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well... Think about it if you actually feel like you have a fever, you have a cough, you have a sore throat, you automatically think, oh, I have COVID, right? But that's the symptoms though, right? It's similar to COVID, but then you further dig deeper. Okay, what's your temperature? What else are you feeling? And then you test for COVID if you're negative or positive and you're like, you're negative, you're just tired. You, ben, you're tired. Let's just take a nap today, right? And so that's the same thing in the real world. You basically test and you have to know the tools on how to do this so that you can see the root cause of the problem, not the symptoms. But they don't, you're right, they don't teach that at college. So that's what I'm doing to teach them like, one class I'm teaching right now is called managing your boss. And they're like, I don't want to manage my boss. I'm like, check out what my students are saying. It's actually about yourself. You need to know your learning style, your conflict management style, your personality, because you can't manage anybody, not even your spouse. Okay. Not even your best friend. If you don't know your own self. Mm 
you need to have self-reflection, put that mirror and said, okay, what is my strengths and what's my weaknesses? What's my opportunity and threats at this moment? And once you're self-aware of that, then you can navigate and manage through life uh, with any class, with any professions, really. So we're going to have to partner up for sure on, on that. Yeah, well, I mean, on that note, I mean, I think part of this, you know, academy that I would create with an endless amount of money <laughs> focus on developing resilience and t- and changing victims the victim mindset that I see a lot in students mm-hmm. so oh, my professor's terrible or I don't like the way they teach or I was this and it's like I understand how you arrived at that situation but real life is hard mm-hmm. and it's not fair so I think one of the things I think as a society we haven't done well is we haven't made failure okay mm-hmm. and we have created such a soft touch approach that when students encounter the brittle reality of life, that first big breakup, that internship that you don't get, it feels like the world is falling in. and. And I don't mean this in a mocking way. It Mm -hmm. really does feel like a huge disaster for them because they haven't had the opportunity to have small errors and make mistakes. And that in turn changes the way you see things. So I see a lot of young professionals who are upset that they're not progressing fast enough or they're upset because a boss is giving them a difficult time. I, I can tell you hand on heart that the one of the hardest bosses I've ever had has done me the greatest service of any professional I've worked with. And he was he was tough on me. And I, at the time, felt like it was unfair. I, and I don't understand why this is happening. Why is he doing this? This isn't fair. And once I had matured a little bit, I actually realized what the guy was doing. And that was, he was investing in me. He was making me better. But that wasn't, a, that wasn't an easier soft process and I I look back on that and I wish I'd had the maturity to realize what he was doing so that I could have made more of it and and gotten better as a consequence and so I, I this is why I think entrepreneur entrepreneurial skills are just so valuable because even if you don't start your own business you learn that it's okay to fail mm-hmm. and you learn from those lessons so that when you do encounter a significant failure it's not the first time it's happened yeah yeah, that's true. Now, last question. Is there anything that you would like to share or inform or inspire others in the level up space? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, I think what I would say to anybody is everybody struggles with asking this, themselves the question, do I really deserve to be here? I think imposter syndrome is a thing that is just very widespread. Not everyone has it, but it's very widespread. And I felt it many times myself. And I just think I would encourage people to reach out to individuals who are doing the things that they aspire to do. And I think what you'll find is not only will you get a lot of information that's really helpful, but you'll find that some of the feelings that you have, those very same people encountered in their own journey. I would encourage people to try some stuff where maybe that maybe they don't win, maybe it does fail. And instead of falling back into the failure to do that post failure analysis and figure out why did I why did I fail and what would I do differently? 
uh, and then I would just do a shameless pitch. <laughs> <laughs> we all need it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If, if you and, and I mean this in all seriousness, law school isn't for everybody. And mm-hmm. So if you really want to go to law school, Pretty Little Pro is here for you. But if you simply just want to find out more and get a sense of whether it is in fact a good fit, Pretty Little Pro is here to help you. Uh, and I also think, you know, just to encourage people to explore the idea of coaching as they develop as professionals, because building a career and a career that you actually enjoy and get some meaning and satisfaction from, it doesn't just happen. Mm-hmm. It takes planning and surprise, surprise, we don't know it all. And it's great to have a coach that can actually help guide you through that process so you can build the life that you Awesome. So prelawpro.com is where you can find Ben Cooper. Thank you so much for your time today with Level Up. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. If you have any questions, email me at lua, L-U-A, at up by Doc Leland, Doc Leland spells D-O-C-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D.com. Lua by DocLeland.com is open for consultations and courses will be offered soon. I will see you in the next episode. Stay connected, informed, and inspired. Until next time.